peace. It's not the absence of turmoil, but the presence of tranquility, even while in a place of chaos. It is a sense of wholeness and completeness that is content knowing that God controls the events of the day. Question, do you find yourself frazzled by the crashing waves of turmoil in your life? Or are you experiencing the peace that passes all comprehension? Well, hey there. My name is Chad Bryan. I am the associate pastor and proud student ministries pastor at Grace Half Moon. Uh, it's great to be here today. Thank you, uh, Grace Latham. Thank you, uh, East Greenbush, Saratoga, and of course, my home, Half Moon. Uh, thanks for coming to church today. We are continuing our series uh, called Growing Up in Christ, in which we have been talking about what it looks like for a believer to live a life that's filled and fueled by the Spirit of God. Uh, the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in a person is what we refer to as the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit that we're talking about today is the fruit of peace. And there is no doubt that peace is something that we all here called for and desired in our world today. Uh, though it's called for and desired, how exactly though peace looks is up for conversation. Uh, what I've learned in studying the, this topic of peace is that uh, while few people may ag agree exactly what peace is, many people will agree what peace is not. For example, globally, uh, when you think about the Middle East, we think that's, that's not peace. When you think about um, a place like France and that truck driver who terrorized innocent parents and children, we know that's not peace. When you hear of something like Germany and teenagers being gunned down in a mall, that's not peace. When you think on a national level, in our own country, uh, officers being murdered in cold blood, that's not peace. When many of our African-American brothers and sisters are fearful of being mistreated or even oppressed, that's not peace. To bring it to even a more personal level, when you lie awake at night, uh, overwhelmed by your financial obligations or maybe relational turmoil or the daily responsibilities you're reminded of every time you shut off that alarm clock in the morning. That's not peace. Or when you look in the mirror and you see the, the, the dark bags underneath your eyes and, and you hear yourself think or even mutter the hopeless words of, I can't do this anymore, I don't know how I'm going to survive today, or I'm so burnt out, you know, that's not peace. So, what is peace? Because even the primary definition of peace is more about what peace isn't rather than what peace is. You see, the basic definition of peace is peace is the absence of war or turmoil. 
So what is peace? And specifically within our, our context of this series, what's the kind of peace that the Holy Spirit brings believers? And if we're going to want to experience the kind of peace that comes from, from putting our trust in Jesus, then we're going to first have to realize that the peace that Jesus offers is a different kind of peace than the peace we're most familiar with. The peace of Jesus is different than the kind of peace that we're most familiar with. I, uh, when I found out that I would have the opportunity to share with you on the topic of peace, I had, like you, no matter your spiritual background, a general understanding uh, that Jesus is probably pro-peace, right? Jesus probably wants every kid to get a trophy or to catch a Pokemon, right? Like, Jesus supports peace, Okay, so I started to dig in to the scriptures, and one of the first scriptures that, that I kind of stumbled upon was this quote from Jesus. And uh, Jesus says this, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. Well, that's not good, I thought. It kind of stinks when Jesus seems to be ruining your weekend message. I wondered if maybe Jesus could shoot off a text message to Pastor Rex. Let him know that this message is going to look different than we thought it would. Uh, based upon this verse alone from Jesus, I, I, I thought, well, maybe Jesus would like us to re-entitle uh, this message, How to Stand Firm in Division. You could bring all your friends. It'll be great. But then I continued to look at other scriptures, which, by the way, is the proper way to interpret scriptures, all right, not to take a verse all by itself and draw conclusions. And, and what I realize that Jesus is talking about here is he's talking about circumstantial peace. If we could bring that verse up one more time. Jesus is talking about uh, circumstantial peace. Do you think I came to bring circum circumstantial peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. This is what he's saying. Hey, guys, disciples, listen, if you think that I came to make all of your circumstances better, I, I, I didn't. In fact, some people are actually going to oppose you because you've chosen to follow me. Some of the people in your, in your inner, most inner circles are going to turn against you because of your love for me. So rather than, rather than expect everything in your life to get better because of me, I, I would actually expect some opposition and some division. Jesus doesn't bring circumstantial peace. Circumstances aren't always bad for believers, not at all. But the peace of Jesus is greater than circumstances. He clarifies this even more later on as his relationship with the disciples matures. And uh, we go to a night that's just a really bad night for the disciples. I don't know if you've really had a bad night. Let me rephrase that. You've all had really bad nights. I don't know if you remember your really bad nights. Maybe they're etched in your memory or erased from your memory. But for the disciples, this is a really bad night. And also for Jesus. Because historically, we could look back and know that the following day, Jesus is going to go to the cross. He's going to take on literally hell itself. And the disciples are terrified because they think they're going to experience hell themselves without their fearless leader. And so circumstances are totally dire. Bad, bad night. Unfortunately for the disciples, they don't know that it's actually just going to carry on for a little bit. 
But in the worst of circumstances, this is what Jesus says to the disciples. He says to them, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. You see, if Jesus' peace was circumstantial peace, I would assume that the circumstances would be better for Jesus and the disciples, right? Not just on this really bad night, but generally on their life. Jesus' peace isn't circumstantial, and this is what I mean when I say circumstantial peace. Circumstantial peace is when we believe that when our circumstances get better, peace will come. We think, uh, uh, once I find a job, I'll find peace. Uh, once I get healthier, I'll experience peace. Uh, uh, once I find someone to date, I'll find peace. Uh, once uh, my spouse starts acting like they should or my child starts acting like they could, I'll find peace. Once my circumstances get better, I'll experience peace. That's circumstantial peace. But the peace of Jesus is greater than circumstances. He says to the disciples, do not let your, let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. If I turn that into a positive sense, he's saying let your hearts be calm and confident. Why in the world, looking at the situation, would the disciples have any reason to have calm and confident hearts? Simply put, they had no option to have calm and confident hearts other than just trusting that Jesus knows what he's doing. So here's what I think Jesus is getting at. The peace of Jesus is when our hearts are calm and confident in the promises of God. That's what the peace of Jesus is. When our hearts are calm and confident in the promise, promises of God. And we have so many reasons to be confident and calm in the promises of God. Uh, so many promises from God. We have the promise that we can find salvation in Jesus. We have the promise that this life is just a pit stop and the life after this life is really where the fun gets going. We have the promise that we will spend eternity with Jesus, that one day we'll live without a sin-stained body or a sin-stained world. We have the promise that God lives in us right now and will never leave us. We have the promise that God cares about us and is always taking care of us. We have so many promises from God through Jesus that we can be calm and confident in despite our circumstances because the peace of Jesus is greater than our circumstances. Now to you here today, you, in understanding that the peace of Jesus is to be calm and confident in the promises of God, that might seem ideal to you, that might seem nice, cute to you, but some of you might be pondering, what exactly does this peace do for me, though? <laughs> uh, what role does this play in my day-to-day -day life? I'd rather have strength, uh, grit, wit, and determination than peace, to be honest. Some of us might think, if we we're so bold to give our honest thoughts. Well, here's the role that peace plays for us. Peace is what gives stability, spiritual stability, to a believer. You see, believers stand firm in the peace of God. Believers stand firm in the peace of God. Life is hard. Opposition is 
constant. Circumstances are all over the place. Life is just a doozy, right? A battle every single day. Some of you had a battle just getting your kids to church today. Not to mention paying bills and coping with grief or tragedy. Life is tough. So in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul talks about how we need to be properly suited up for our lifelong battles. Spiritually speaking, he talks about putting on what's called spiritual armor. Specifically, when it comes to the peace of God, he talks about how whether or not we experience the peace of God will be determined by if we have on the proper shoes. Sounds super weird. I know. Just This is what he says, though, in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul says, for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news. Okay, Good news here representing the promises of God, right? Not only salvation, but also eternal life that we could begin experiencing right now, right? For shoes, put on the peace of God that comes from trusting the promises of God so that you will be fully prepared. So Paul says that when we put on these shoes of peace, we are fully prepared. Well, prepared for what? Prepared for all circumstances and all opposition, In ancient culture, a Roman soldier uh, wore a type of shoe that we see many athletes wear today. It was a form of cleat. It had spikes underneath the shoe. And the role that the spikes played is that it gave the soldier the ability to have stability and stand firm against all kinds of circumstances and all kinds of opposition. For the soldier to not have his proper shoes... He would be slipping and sliding all over the place. He would be at a loss of a major advantage. It was absolutely pivotal that the soldier had the proper footwear on. Some of us today, I think it's safe for us to ask ourselves if we have the proper footwear on when it comes to the peace of God. Because some of us can maintain stability in certain circumstances, but then we're sliding all over the place in others. For example, when you come to church, it it seems that you have stability in the peace of God. Every little thing seems to be all right. But then, when you go back home, your household is ruled by stress and turmoil. It's almost like your children and spouse can taste it in the air. Some of us seem so stable in the peace of God so calm and confident in the promises of God when we're with our our, our small group or a certain group of people, but then we go to the workplace and we're all over the place. Some of us really believe, really believe that we had the, the, the peace of God in our hearts, but then circumstances might have gotten so bad recently that you were knocked off a place of stability by anger, by worry and stress. You see, the peace of God takes great intentionality to put our proper shoes on, to dig our spikes into the ground, and to stand firm in all circumstances, and not just all circumstances, but all opposition, because you better believe that we have a lot of opposition when it comes to trying to intentionally live out the peace of God in our daily lives. There is someone who absolutely opposes you beyond just the person that you recently blocked from your phone contacts. More than that, you laugh because it's true. More than that, the enemy, the evil one, hates us. 
And he wants to do everything he can to make sure that you don't experience this kind of spiritual stability in your life. He wants to make sure that your peace, that you continue to, to look for circumstantial peace. You, you, you look for peace in a romantic partner. You look for, you look for peace in, in entertainment, Netflix binging. You, you look for peace at uh, your success at work. He, he wants you to continue to chase circumstantial peace so that you can never regain your spiritual stability and become an effective labor for the kingdom of God. He wants you slipping and sliding. The peace of God is how believers stand firm despite the circumstances, despite the opposition. So that being said, knowing that the peace of God, when it comes to Jesus, it's, it's, a, it's a different kind of peace than the one we're most familiar with. It's no longer circumstantial peace. And knowing that the role that it does, it gives us stability so that we could stand firm in the peace of God. How do we experience this peace? How do we put on our shoes of peace, so to speak, lace them up, and grind our spikes into the ground to stand firm and against all kinds of circumstances and all kinds of opposition? How do we stand firm in the peace of God? Well, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul get so practical about what it looks like to stand firm in the peace of God in our day-to-day -day life. Now, last week, in all locations, some of these verses were referenced when we talked about joy, the fruit of the Spirit called joy, and, and rightly so, because joy and peace are so interconnected. They are so intertwined. In fact, I would say peace is the bridge that leads to the city of joy. They go together. But here, when, when Paul gets nitty-gritty about what it looks like to live this peace out in day-to-day -day life, he begins the conversation by addressing relational conflict in the church. He, he begins his address of how we stand firm in the peace of God by addressing relational conflict in the church. And I don't know why, because that's not a thing in 2016. We stand firm in the peace of God by striving for peace with one another. And here's what Paul says. He says, I plead with Euodia, I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. These two women, Euodia and Syntyche, not only great names to keep in mind for you expecting parents, okay? But, uh, hey, no one judges you, that's fine. But, if someone has that name, I'm going to keep moving. So, Yodi and Sintiki, two popular women, all right, popular for their role in the ministry uh, with Paul and, and their contributions to their church. Everyone knows them, but despite their popularity, there's a problem. They're causing division because they have beef with one another. And rather than this beef being hashed out and put away, the beef is being left out and everyone's smelling it. The problem isn't that they had conflict. The problem is that they're not striving to find peace in the conflict. Listen, conflict is nothing uh, new, right? Uh, for a church, our church, any church, any group of people who have ever gathered together for a period of time, right? As long as we're committed to doing life together and living out our faith with one another, which is what the church is all about, we're committed to going through conflict with each other. We're committed to it. And guaranteeing ourselves. 
and conflict's not hard to find. All it takes is a Facebook post, right? Who you're voting for and ask everyone what they think. All it takes is a misinterpreted email, a um, misunderstood uh, text message, or a text message sent with the wrong emojis, or a text message sent with no emojis. Conflict's not hard. It, it, conflict could be found uh, within your small group. It, it could be found with the lead pastor. It, it, it could be found with the person who's your best friend three best friends ago. Conflict's everywhere. The problem isn't necessarily conflict. It's whether or not believers, as we are striving to stand firm in the peace of God, if we're striving for peace in the conflict. Maybe you're the person today, and you might say, uh, uh, Chad, I'm in conflict right now. I'm in conflict right now. If that's you, I just want to uh, thank you for doing life with people, one. And also, I want to highlight a verse that, that Paul uses in Romans. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Paul says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So this is what I just encourage you to do with the limited time to, to address this. I would encourage you, one, to notice how Paul maintains such high respect and esteem for these two women, even though they're causing so many problems while he still gives an honest evaluation of the situation and the conflict. All right, we, we do well to, to keep that in mind as we address our conflict and the people involved in them. Also, Paul brings in a third party to this conflict. And maybe it's time for you to bring in a third party. If you're in a conflict and that's the reason you're slipping and sliding all over the place and that you can't uh, experience spiritual stability, maybe it's time to bring in a trusted third party who's willing to tell you what you don't want to hear and ask them what they think the next step might be for you in striving to, to make peace. Uh, another person might be someone who says, um, well, Chad, I don't really ever have conflict. <laughs> okay. Let me clarify cl conflict, okay? By conflict, I'm not just mean, I don't mean just like lawsuits and fistfights. I'm talking like disagreements, um, uh, uh, contrasting opinions, frustrations. Oh, now we have heads nodding throughout our locations, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, well, I have that. Okay, most of us do. If you don't, I encourage you, before you leave, to sign up for a ministry team at your location or join a small group. Third, Third, it might be a person who says, I've actually left the church because of conflict. And if that's you, you may not be here today. Or you might be listening online. Or, or one day you'll hear this message. And I'd just like to take a moment to, if I can, to address that person. I want to say I'm sorry. Although you're probably not looking for an apology from me. But I'm sorry. I'm sorry the church hurt you. The church is full of people, and people can be very hurtful. But I do want to ask you to prayerfully consider one thing. Be very careful not to misidentify the opponent. The opponent isn't the pastor who hurt you, or the believer who hurt you, or me. Our battle isn't against believers or people or a structure or organization of the church. Our battle is against no one but the evil one 
who wants to keep you spiritually slipping and sliding all over the place so that you can't gain spiritual stability and become an effective laborer for the kingdom of God. So be very careful. Prayerfully consider to not misidentify the opponent. And consider whether this time could be a time of healing, forgiveness, and striving for peace. Because when we stand firm in the peace of God, we stand firm in the peace of God together. The peace of God isn't just a me and God thing. It's a we and God thing. The peace of God is highly relational. And it's actually not only highly relational, but it's highly personal as well. Wait, that's the same thing. Not only is it highly relational, but when we stand firm in the peace of God, we strive for peace with one another. And we gratefully give our anxieties to God. You see, what we have is not only our external, relational, and personal conflict with one another, but we have internal conflict within ourselves. Lord knows, as do you and I, that our conflict isn't just with people, but it also exists between our very own two ears, right? And in our heart. And Paul knows that. And, and so when it comes to striving for peace, Paul addresses our internal conflicts when he says, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Now stop there for a second. If you already know the preceding verse or the following verse, I'm so glad that KC or your Bible studies trained you well, all right? But just ch take a chill pill for a second. Recognize the absurdity of such a claim. Do not be anxious about anything. That's like asking me not to breathe or go to the restroom today. In fact, I'm almost getting anxious about the fact that I'm not supposed to be anxious. I'm like a crying child that you tell to stop crying. I just want to worry more. When I was in college, I struggled with a thing known as OCD. It wasn't OCD for cleanliness. I'm sure my dorm room would have loved that. And my wife would appreciate some of that as well now too. But I struggle with high anxiety because I imagine the worst case scenarios for so many different things. So whether I was in the classroom or, or work or the gym or in the dorm room or maybe even a date once in a while, I would be traumatized by anxiety. And it got to the, the point where, where I was, it felt like I was, being, I was paralyzed. I, I, I remember dark moments in my dorm room struggling with the anxiety, trying to pray it off. And, and countless conversations with professors for them to help me out. And the reason I share this with you isn't just to air my dirty laundry, although I do hope you appreciate that. The reason I share this with you is because I know so many of you who aren't on stage right now can almost relate entirely. You know what it's like to be buried by anxiety. You know what it's like to have discouraging thoughts. You know what it's like to have bouts of depression or even contemplate suicidal thoughts at times. You know what it's like, and I have a feeling that if I asked everyone who struggled with anxiety to come on stage, there'd be no one else in the seats. It's so natural. It's so normal. 
But what Paul's talking about here when it comes to standing firm in the peace of God, he's talking about something that's supernatural. He's talking about something that's the characteristic of someone living a spirit-filled life. And this is what he, he says. He says, but, but, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Paul goes from, just go ahead and keep that up. Paul goes from saying, do not be anxious about anything. So if I had kind of a chart up here, to go from 100% worry to 0%, right? That's what Paul says. But now he says, go from worrying in no situation. Now in all situations, 100% of the time, present your request to God. Now, if I asked all locations, how many of you guys, raise your hands, this is hypothetical, rhetorical, okay? How many of you think you're awesome people of prayer? I feel like a few hands would go up and everyone else might judge you, okay? But if I asked you, how many of you feel like you're professional worriers? You have your doctorates, honorary doctorates, in anxiety, right? I feel like it'd be a pretty strong response. Here's the thing. Some of us may not know how to pray, and that's okay. If you know how to worry, you're off to a great start. Isn't that encouraging? Because Paul says you take those anxieties and you, you hand them off to God. You, you, you present them to God, and you do it with thanksgiving. Here's why you could do it with thanksgiving. Because God actually cares about them. He cares so much about them. Through the Holy Spirit, we have the uncompromised presence of God in our lives. And because of that, we are assured that God has a comprehensive concern for our lives. He cares. He's not just with us, but living in us as believers. Through the Holy Spirit, 24-7, he cares about us 24-7. What we're thinking, what we're doing, he cares. And so we can gratefully, with thanksgiving, present those anxieties to God. Paul says that when we give these anxieties away, here's what happens. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding. A lot of times this phrase, this, this phrase could refer to a euphoric sense that comes over us. This peace that, man, just blows my mind. I don't even know how to explain it. That, that is part of it. It's hard to explain. But I think Paul's being even more practical here. I think what Paul is saying, hey guys, anything, any solution that you come up to your anxiety with, when, you're, uh, when you can't sleep at night, when your head is, is pressed up against the shower wall, when you're, you're thinking throughout the work day, and you're using your own wit, grit, and determination to figure out how you're going to solve your anxiety, your problems, he says nothing that you come up with will be better than that which the God gives you when he gives you his peace. Anything that you conjure up in your own understanding and logic won't be able to match the peace that we receive when we hand our anxieties over to God. And here's why his peace is so much better. The peace of God is so much better because it says God guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. The biblical imagery of guarding our heart and our mind in Christ Jesus is that of a battalion of soldiers guarding a base or a fort. You see, the peace of Jesus isn't some emotional, flimsy, weak thing. 
It's tough, sturdy, gets the job done because we have someone on the job who's bigger than us, better than us, smarter than us, and mistake-free. You see, the reason that you and I, and I'm totally with you on this, stress, is because we are overwhelmed by problems that are beyond our capacity to solve. But when God steps in, he's fit for the job. And he takes over the position that we're unfit for. That's why we stress out about it. When we have that peace, we can stand firm in the peace of God. Now, that's not to go against your own wit, grit, and determination. Who else is going to make your circumstances better, right? We give those, uh, those anxieties to God. But it doesn't mean, guys, living the spirit-filled life doesn't mean that we are without our worries. It means that now when we live the spirit-filled life, we give away our worries. You could be here and have bags underneath your eyes and be kind of struggling physically and, and still have the peace of God. Why? Because you're giving away your anxieties to him. That's how we have peace. We have peace by striving for peace with one another. We have peace by gratefully giving our anxieties to God. You can go from 0% giving them away to 100% giving them away. And it's the difference between living a life in the flesh, as Pastor Rex has talked about, and living a life in the spirit. But when we give them away and we let God do his job, we are freed up to do our job. See, we stand firm in the peace of God not only by having peace with one another, but by gratefully giving our anxieties to him and by constantly thinking and doing good. Thinking and doing good. Paul says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I used to think that this verse meant that if we gave our anxieties away to God, we are now freed up to think about more spiritual or heavenly things. And that is definitely a primary part of the application, but I think it's incomplete because Paul says two things here when it comes to a practical exhortation. He says, one, think about such things. Think, but don't just think, he says, put into practice. Do, think and do. Don't just think and not do. Don't just do and not think, but think and do. Think and do what? Well, think and do whatever is true. Think and do whatever is noble. Think and do whatever is right. Think and do whatever is pure. Uh, whatever is admirable. Uh, anything that's excellent or praiseworthy. Think and do those things. And we can think and do those things. When God is doing his job of guarding our hearts from anxiety, and we are freed up to do ours. Now, this might sound kind of ambiguous. might sound vague. You might think, okay, Chad, we think and do good things. What does that really look like? I love how many times Paul uses the word whatever. <laughs> he says whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything, whatever, 
is excellent or praiseworthy. So you might think, Chad, is this as simple as like me bringing brownies into work tomorrow? Yes, whatever. Chad, should I um, go, uh, I don't know, uh, serve at a homeless shelter? Yes, whatever. Can I shoot out, I mean, is it as simple as sending out an encouraging text message when I go home today? Yes, whatever. Um, should I sign up with a ministry? Yes, whatever. Check out Grace in Action and see where I fit in? Yes, whatever. By the way, isn't it great that Grace in Action is called Grace in Action, not Grace in Thought? Just put that out there. It's doing and thinking. All right, thinking and doing. When we give our anxieties to God and we're standing firm in the peace of God, we are freed up to go think and do in whatever, whatever way in the world that we live in every day. That's the freedom we have in Christ. We stand firm in the peace of God when we strive for peace with one another when we gratefully give our anxieties to him and let him do his job so that we can do ours of constantly thinking and doing good. So here's the question. Church, are you standing firm in the peace of God? Or in this season of your life, do you find yourself slipping and sliding? We stand firm in the peace of God by striving to have peace with one another, is there someone that you need to reach out to and make peace with? Is that why you're kind of sliding, stumbling, losing your spiritual traction? Is it maybe time for you to take God at his promises and, and give your anxieties away to him? Let him do his job so that you could do yours and go out and constantly think and do good in whatever way in the world that we live in every day? Maybe some of you are here and you think, I've never really experienced the peace of God. And that might be because you've never experienced peace with God. And I want to encourage you today with the truth that you could experience peace right now just as much as anyone by trusting in the promises of God. That's called faith. Being calm and confident in the promises of God, that's called peace. It takes great intentionality. It's a conscious decision we have to make every day to put on our shoes of peace, to dig our spikes into the ground, and to stand firm in the peace of God despite the circumstances, despite the opposition. We live in a world today that is wondering what peace is. And our call as a church, is to show the world who the God of peace is. The first century church lived in a culture, was surrounded by a culture that was chaotic like ours, full of racial tension, different religious backgrounds, convictions and preferences, different socioeconomic uh, gaps of all different kinds, and yet the church showed, they modeled to the world what it looks like when a group of people come together that are bridged in the peace of God. 
The church did it then. We can do it again. Can you imagine what this church will look like when we are no longer buried by our own personal anxieties or insecurities or fears? We're no longer distracted with our, 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 our frictions, our conflicts with other people, but instead we are focused on thinking and doing good and bringing hope to the world in whatever, whatever way in the world we live in every day. That's what it looks like to stand firm in the peace of God. We stand firm in the peace of God when the peace of God stands firm in us. Let's share this peace with our world. Let's pray. Lord, we want your peace. And not the kind of circumstantial peace that we're most familiar with. Forgive us for looking for peace in the wrong places. We ask that you would enable our hearts to be calm and confident in your promises. That we'd become experts in giving away our anxieties so that you can do your job and we could do ours by bringing hope to our world as a spirit-filled church. Constantly thinking and doing good. Jesus, we are committed to standing firm in you. May your peace stand firm in us. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.